Okay, yeah, brilliant, excellent. Okay, so it's really good to be with you uh, this morning. Um, I think most of you know me, but my name's Jan and I'm on the staff team here at church. Um, Oasis, uh, it's particularly good to be here because Oasis was a really important thing for me when I moved to St. Paul's a few years ago and it, I found it a really good way of kind of getting to know people and becoming part of the church community. So it's lovely to be back with you. Um, and uh, we're, I understand you've been uh, working your way through 1 Peter and today we come to the end of that with 1 Peter 5. So I'll begin by uh, reading that to you. If you've got a Bible, you might want to follow along. 1 Peter chapter 5, and it's on page 1220. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. The shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over the, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So I'll just pray before I uh, share a few thoughts on those verses. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter's care for the scattered flock of Christians and for his words of advice. And we pray that uh, you'll just highlight to each one of us any of those words that you particularly want to, uh, to share with us personally today. Amen. Okay, so... Um, once Caroline gets the, uh, the visuals up, this is a picture of me many, many years ago, uh, 23 years old on my wedding day. And um, the reason I put that up there is I want to start by saying, if you had the chance to go back to when you were 23 or when you were 18 or when you were 21, if you could go back in time and meet your younger self, 
what sort of things would you, what sort of advice would you give? I was thinking about that. I was thinking that if I could meet myself at 17, when I was about to go off to university, I'd tell myself not to worry about it, that it was going to be wonderful and not nearly as bad as I feared. If I could have met myself at 21, as I left university, I would have told myself that there is life after uni. You know, there is, uh, life goes on. There are other good things that happen in life. If I could meet myself just there, as I was setting out to my wedding, well, I'd tell myself, actually, that we needed to go around the block a time or two because we were going to be early for the wedding. And um, me and my dad are both known for our punctuality, so uh, we were always going to be there uh, on time. And if I could meet myself at 25, when I just had my first child, I think I'd tell myself that the sleepless nights don't go on forever, but the worry does. Even when they're uh, 30, you're still worrying about them. Uh, and I asked some friends of mine what they would say to their younger selves if they got a chance to go back. And this was some of the advice they came up with. Don't worry about being skinny. It's, it's really not that important. But do start exercising. Another good one, live in the present. Don't keep worrying about the future or looking back to the past. This from a friend of mine who's not in very good health. Appreciate good health because you never know when it might be taken away. Another one, and this is from a very busy lady who uh, I think needs to take her own advice. Be kind and forgiving to yourself. Find ways to look after yourself and make them part of your routine. Someone else said, uh, find something to be thankful for every day. Uh, so lots of good advice there. So if we could go back and talk to our younger selves, I wonder what we'd say. But I wonder, actually, would we listen? If only we could do that, but would we listen? I remember when I set off to university, my big brother took me, and he had some advice for me. Uh, it wasn't very emotional advice, it was very practical. He said, you need a kettle, you need coffee, you need sugar, you need milk, and then you can invite people around for coffee straight away. And he did a bit more than that, he actually bought me a kettle and all the, all the bits that go with it. And it was really good advice because my room became the place where everybody congregated in those first few days. And it was a great way to get to know people. And then as my children started to leave home, I found myself wanting to give them advice, things that I'd learned over the years, things, uh, you know, little bits of things that you think might stop them going through the same uh, trials and tribulations that you've been through yourself. Um, and, um, and I think maybe they took some of that advice and they probably ignored quite a lot of it because some lessons you can only really learn for yourself. So in this last bit of Peter's letter, I think this is the sort of thing he's doing. He's wanting to share his last bits of wisdom with all these Christians who were scattered around quite a large area. He was writing not to a church in a particular place, but to Christians all over the place. They were facing difficulties. And he wanted to, I suppose, share his top tips for how, how, to, how to live life. And maybe I like to think that he was looking back on his own past because when we see the Peter who's in the Gospels, we see somebody who's really quite hot-headed, quite passionate, quite argumentative, uh, quite scared at times. And yet the intervening years 
of uh, facing suffering for the sake of the gospel and finding himself strengthened by the Holy Spirit to face all these things had changed him. They'd given him things that he could share with other people, advice that he could give. And of course, he had experienced suffering and he'd learned through it. He'd spent time in jail and only a year or two after this letter, he would be quite horribly martyred. He knew what suffering was all about. It wasn't theoretical. And the emphasis in these last few verses, as it has been throughout the chapter, was on suffering and how to handle suffering. And um, this just reminded me, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I I, uh, spoke at the midweek service about the parable of the sower. And it's interesting that when uh, in that parable where Jesus talks about the things that can really um, sort of uh, stop our faith, can really get in the way of our faith, um, two of those soils relate to suffering. So we have the, the soil where the roots don't go down very deep, and as soon as troubles come along, people are knocked off their feet. But then there's also the one where uh, the uh, seed is planted among thorns, and the thorns represent the kind of worries and anxieties of life. So suffering can really have an impact on our faith, difficulties. And I think we all face suffering at times, don't we? We can't get through life without going through difficult times. Some of us, obviously, more than others. But we all have times when when life is hard. And Peter had had faced that and he'd learned from it. So I want to look today particularly at those last lessons that he's sharing, the things that he's learned from his suffering. Uh, And the first thing is to be humble. He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Now, Humility may sound a rather strange way to deal with suffering. Um, But I've I've been reflecting on this. I've been thinking about the way that worry and anxiety can kind of really get to us. Um, I, I came across this brilliant definition of worry. A small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And I really relate to that. Especially, you know, those times in the middle of the night where you wake up and you just can't get your thoughts away from the the worry. You can't, anything else you try and think of just comes back to that. And uh, the Greek word for uh, anxiety, it's a word... um, I'm not very... uh, My Greek is a bit rusty, but merimnao... Um, It means to divide, and I think that's what anxiety can do. It kind of divides your mind. You know, we say, we talk about going to pieces, don't don't we? And that's that's where this Greek sort of sense of anxiety comes. And so I think the humility comes in just surrendering ourselves to what God is doing. It's a sort of trust that I think we find much harder the older we get. Um, and I think as we get older and, and um, we, we face the possibility of aging and we face the possibility of becoming less dependent. And I think that's a real fear for many of us. Um, and it's, I was just reflecting this week that, you know, um, 
babies, we see Eliora at the back, and she's not worried about being dependent. She's not worried about having somebody else have to do any, everything for her because it's natural to her to just surrender and let other people do things. But as we get older, we get more stubborn, we get more independent, don't we? And the thought of losing control is, really, really is a really, really hard one. And we fear that with illness, we fear that with um, job sort of um, uh, uncertainties, we fear it in all th with relationship uh, breakdown, we fear that lack of control. And so I think the humility is all about just submitting to God and saying yes, not, not just sort of accepting in a passive way, you know, God, you know, um, we're not going to resist this at all, but just surrendering to God's will. And that is a really hard thing to do. I'm not pretending that that is an easy thing to do. And there are areas in my own life where I'm wrestling with this at the moment. But it's a really helpful thing to do. Um, and then the second thing that, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, just carrying on with that thought for a minute. Um, I think um, this, um, Caroline, could you put the verse up from Philippians? Um, I think the, the version we're probably more um, familiar with is, do, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, so, uh, um, submit your requests to the Lord. Um, but this is a good way of putting it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And it's kind of getting into that mindset where our worries become prayers, where we surrender control. Um, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, says verse 7. So then the second thing, that uh, the second bit of Peter's advice is to take the devil seriously. He says in verse 8, um, I can find it. Um, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to take the powers of darkness seriously. In, uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, um, but that's all about um, a sort of fictional devil a junior devil and a senior devil who kind of correspond with each other. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis points out in that is that the world does a, uh, the devil does a very good job of kind of all these images of a little, uh, a little man with horns and a trident. Uh, and people think, well, I can't believe in that. It's just, um, it's not, you know, it, it's, it's not believable. It's not credible. And because of that, they don't think that there's any force of evil at all. They don't think that the devil exists. And, uh, but we do need to take it seriously. And I think you're probably aware, and I certainly am, that when we're in difficulties, when, when life is hard, we're particularly vulnerable to attack, to temptation. And uh, <coughs> I love this image of being like a roaring lion, because if we knew um, that in a certain place there was a, a, an escaped lion... We would avoid it, wouldn't we? We wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't get deliberately go there. And I think we need to just be aware of those um, sort of situations where we're particularly tempted when we're feeling vulnerable and maybe just make a deliberate choice to avoid those types of situations. And then the third thing that Peter uh, advised is to trust. 
So verse 10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And it's that trust that God hasn't forgotten us. Uh, We've all, I think, been following the the story of those boys who were rescued from the cave in Thailand. Uh, Very, very difficult and dangerous rescue. And I was thinking about how those boys had to put their trust in the the divers who were helping them to take them through uh, really um, really difficult places. And yet they did put their trust in them. Uh, They had to do that. And it's a bit like that for us. We need to put our trust in God and say, God hasn't forgotten us. He has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. So it's kind of getting things into perspective. Um, I read a book last year by Sheryl Sandberg, who is, um, I think, the CEO of Facebook. Um, She's certainly very high up. And it was a book called Option B. And she very sadly lost her husband very suddenly and... um, and at quite a young age. They hadn't been married for more than a few years, and they had um, at least one young child. And obviously, she, she went through a horrendous time with this happening, really, really bad. But she'd written this book, Option B, about how to get through that sort of thing. And she's not a Christian, but I think she had some really, really good advice. And one of the things that's kind of stuck with me is that she said she was, I don't think this is an idea that was original to her, but she was really helped by this idea that she called the three Ps. That when we're going through difficulties, we need to remember um, that they're not permanent, they're not pervasive, and they're not personal. And what she meant by that was that however bad things are, it's not going to last forever. And of course, as Christians, we know that we've got that sort of heavenly kingdom to look forward to in the end so we've got even more of that perspective Uh, but it's not permanent it's not pervasive so whatever difficulty you have there are probably some bits of your life that are still okay and that you can still um, get something out of and it's not personal sometimes it feels very personal when when we're in difficulties, it feels as if we're being personally attacked. Um, and I was just, as, as uh, I watched those uh, poor young men from the England team last night looking absolutely gutted, um, I just thought that's something that, you know, obviously they won't feel at the moment, but actually it's something they need to reflect on, that, that the way they feel at the moment isn't permanent and it isn't per- pervasive and it isn't personal. Um, so we need to stand firm and, and actually and this I think is what Peter has learned trials, difficulties can really strengthen us uh, in the way that they had Peter um, and a lot has been made about Gareth Southgate and the way that he missed that penalty all those years ago um, but he didn't let that define his life it, it really shaped his character And I remember when uh, my son Chris was starting school at the age of four. And I, um, you know, you're always a bit bit anxious, aren't you, when your child starts school. And uh, the first day he came home and he said he'd had a lovely time and he'd found a a nice group of girls to play with. 
And, when, and the next morning as I was walking him to school, uh, a girl who was a bit older than him came past and she said, you're not allowed to play with us today. We don't want you in our group. And this was his second day of school. And I kind of just about managed to hold it together to drop him off. Uh, but on the way home, I think I, I shed bucket loads of tears and sort of, and I, I remember crying out to God and saying, I just want to keep him at home. I want to keep him safe. And very distinctly, I heard God say, he's not going to become the man I want him to be unless you let go, unless you let him face some difficulties. And it was fine, actually. <laughs> he, he found a lovely group of friends, and there was just this one girl whose nose, I think, had been put out of joint a bit because he'd, he'd uh, been taken into this group. Um, but yes, we do, have to, we do learn through suffering. We do become stronger. And then the fourth thing, and this is really um, the last few verses of, um, of, of the whole thing, is the strength that we get from one another. We can stand together. We can learn from one another. And just unpacking these last few verses, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. Now, Silas had been with Paul on his second missionary journey, and he'd, that was a journey where he suffered imprisonment, he suffered persecution, and now he was with Peter. Uh, and now he was with Peter, and he'd learned from all this. He'd learned, and we can learn so much from people who've been through similar things to us, can't we? Who who have uh, suffered in similar ways. Um, and then I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings. Now, Babylon wasn't the literal Babylon. It was a kind of code, I think, for Rome, um, which was where there were people suffering real persecution. And so they were kind of standing with their brothers and sisters who were scattered and saying, you know, we're, we're coping with this and we're standing with you in your suffering too. And so does my son, Mark. Now, Mark wasn't his real son. Um, Mark was actually somebody who had, um, again, traveled with Paul and Barnabas and had actually left them because he, he was afraid of what they were facing. He'd sort of run away from suffering. And yet now, here he was, some years later, strengthened. He'd learned through the suffering that he'd faced and he was now ready to suffer for to, to, to face suffering. Um, and we just, through this whole thing, uh, and then it's, it ends, great, greet one another with a kiss of love, peace to all of you who are in Christ. And we just get a sense through all of this of these really good relationships that are helping people to come through and sustaining them. So I think here we've almost come full circle because I started off by saying, what advice would you give to your younger self. Uh, and now we've come, I think, um, to, to really the way we can help each other. We don't, unfortunately, have, have the opportunity to go back and to um, give advice to our younger selves. But we can help one another. Uh, we can learn from things that others have been through. We can give the benefit of our advice to other people. So I wonder, as we finish, what would you say to your 18-year-old self 
or your 21-year-old self or your 30-year-old self. Maybe those are some of the things that you can share with other younger women or, or uh, people who are a bit younger on the Christian journey than you. What wisdom have you got to share with others? And I think we've all got some. What areas of your life would somebody maybe find it helpful for you to share about? And um, I mentioned Gareth Southgate earlier and the way that he had learned um, from going through a difficult time um, and had become, you know, a lot of people have said that that has shaped him and made him into a role model. And I think he's a re he is a really good role model for people. But as I reflected on that uh, this morning, it just made me think, ladies, just look around you because there are people around you who have, in, in this group or in church, who have been through so much more than losing a vital penalty shoot, shootout. And they've learnt from that. And probably many of you have as well. And that's the kind of wisdom that you can share with other people. So I'm just going to end by praying for us. And uh, I'll just pray that. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are there to lead us through suffering. Thank you that we can rely on you. And thank you that even though we've all been through difficult times, you have brought us through and that you have strengthened us through that. Just want to have 